guys. You're listening to Mama Knows Podcast with your host, Nina Cavajola, aka Balconina. Join in weekly as she walks alongside you to navigate topics around motherhood, mental health, self-love, and relationships. The good, bad, and funny. I just found the craziest statistic, you guys. Did you know, this is according to the New York Post, moms with young kids increase their alcohol consumption by nearly 325% between the start of COVID and the end of last year. This is crazy. That's a lot. Um, moms suffered a lot through COVID. <laughs> I mean, everybody did, right? But moms with young kids turned to alcohol to cope. And that's what today is about. This episode is about alcoholism, getting sober, staying sober, and why is alcohol not the best drug to cope with? Also in this episode with Jill, we talk about the guidelines for drinking, which is really interesting. I honestly never even knew what the guidelines were because I personally am not a big drinker. So this was all very interesting to me. And I hope that this episode brings you more of a light to where you are and not necessarily guilt because that's not what we're about. We're not about guilt. It's also really important for me to note that if you do have any problems with alcohol or suicide, homicidal thoughts, I will be sure to put free resources down at the bottom of the notes here too. With all that said, we are talking to Jill today. Jill is the host of the Sober Powered podcast, and she recently left her career as a biochemist to become a full-time podcaster. If you get a chance, please have a listen to her podcast. It is so good. So much good information, whether you have alcohol problems or not. Jill actually quit drinking in 2019 and she has become a huge influence on social media for being sober. She shares so much amazing stuff in this episode. So let's jump in. Jill, thank you so much for being here today. I would love for you to tell my audience a little bit more about yourself and how you got into the work of alcoholism and becoming sober and why Why did you do that? Why was that so important to you? So I'm sober myself. Um, so I am about two and a half years sober. And when I stopped drinking, I just really felt like I needed to understand why this happened to me. I saw so many people in real life that were drinking and able to stop. And I just couldn't seem to figure out how to do that. And I was working as a biochemist at the time. So I knew where to get all of this information. So I just started learning about it and trying to understand like, is this a weakness that I have? Am I actually a loser? Like, is there something wrong with my brain? And I did that every day for months and months and months. And then one day I, I decided I needed to share it with other people. And that's why I do the work that I do now. I love that. I think it's so important, especially for women to speak up about this kind of work. So when you say you're sober yourself, are you willing to share a little bit about your story and how you knew that you needed to be sober? Was it, you know, was it something super serious that was affecting your everyday life? Yeah. So I had a lot of reasons why my drinking couldn't possibly be that bad. And that allowed me to justify it for years. Like I had 
master's degree. I had a job that everybody thought was really impressive. I'm married and my marriage was, you know, fine. I have a house that I live in. I've never had a DUI. Like I had all of these reasons why it wasn't that bad. No one was telling me I needed to quit, like all of these things. But I was really suffering uh, with my mental health. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And eventually what happened is I developed anxiety um, about two years before I stopped drinking. I had never struggled with it before. And I was like, well, here's a new problem. Like, look at me. This is great. And then my depression just kept getting worse until I felt really suicidal. And that was enough to kind of shock me out of my denial that like, I'm not that bad because I started to get afraid of what I call my alter ego, like drunk Jill. Mm-hmm. I started to get afraid of like what drunk Jill might do. Cause my husband isn't with me, you know, all day, every day. Like I was afraid that I could actually do something about those thoughts. And that is ultimately why I accepted I can never drink ever again. But it, it yeah. took a long time. It took about a year of being afraid and going back and forth and doing like I did a 90 day challenge. And then I went back to drinking because it must be cured. Like it took mm-hmm. a lot of work to get mm-hmm. to that point. But that was the reason fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how would you define alcoholism? Because, you know, there's always that, oh, it's just social. I'm just having a drink socially. What is the definition of someone that is has problems with alcohol? I think the first thing to look out for is how much you think about it. People that struggle with alcohol spend a lot of time thinking about their drinking when they're not drinking. Like I spent almost every waking moment thinking about my drinking and only a small fraction of that time actually drinking. Mm-hmm. My husband is a social drinker and I look to him a lot to see what an example of someone who doesn't have a problem is like. He never thinks about it. He just goes about his business and then decides to drink or doesn't like he doesn't really care. But if you're spending a lot of time thinking about it, it means that you're stuck in a loop. Mm-hmm. Um, other things to look out for are you can't control the amount that you drink. You either can't stop when you start or you have a lot of trouble skipping days, things like that. Um, You might have cravings or get agitated if you can't drink. Like all of these things kind of show that you're someone that relies on alcohol. Um, And often we say that we drink to socialize, but we are really just texting people in our house by ourselves. (laughs) I've had people say that to me before. And I'm like, that's not... That's not the same thing. That's not drinking to socialize. So also watch for your definition of socializing. Are you actually out like with people in real life? Okay. Yeah. Because for me, social drinking is like hanging out, you know, going out to dinner with friends and you're having a couple of drinks together. So I love that you put it like that. I know you talk about this a lot on your social media and on your podcast. You talk a lot about why do people use alcohol to cope and why does it not actually help? And I really want to hear your input on this. Why do we use alcohol to cope? And then once you answer that, why does it not actually help us cope? Yeah, it does help us cope short term and mm-hmm. it works really, really well. That's why we use it all the time and get stuck in a cycle of using it to cope and then using it to cope with the problems that drinking then caused. But it whatever problem you have, it instantly will make it better. Like if you're bored, if you're uncomfortable, if you're angry, if someone hurt you, 
if you feel anxious, like whatever you got going on, alcohol is going to fix that for you. So we're often using it like to control our emotions and our mood, because whatever we're feeling, if we have a drink, we don't have to have that experience anymore. And we see that it works. And just the way that alcohol works in your brain, like when you drink, it releases a ton of dopamine and that dopamine reinforces the behavior. So let's say you're drinking because you're anxious you're feeling anxiety or stress, and then you have a drink and it goes away. So all the dopamine in your head is like, remember now when you're stressed, alcohol makes the stress go away. So next time you have that feeling, your brain is going to be like, Hey, don't forget Mm -hmm. alcohol fixed this problem for you before. So Mm -hmm. it is actually factual that it does help. It just doesn't help long-term. Mm-hmm. So the problem is when you're using alcohol to cope, you're not actually like working on your life or your mental mm-hmm. health or whatever the issue is. You're just kind of checking out for a bit and ignoring it and then coming back to your life. And the problem is still there. Like if mm-hmm. you have depression and you're drinking to cope with it, that's not making your depression go away. It's just treating it in the short term and like tricking you into being happy. But long-term, your depression and whatever the reasons are, are still there. So then things just get worse and worse and worse and we keep coping. And and another issue is like a lot of people will start with a glass of wine to wind down, but that one glass isn't going to help you wind down forever. Mm -hmm. If you do that regularly, eventually you're going to need two glasses of wine to get the same effect. So then we're chasing this effect that we got in the beginning and now we need large amounts of alcohol to achieve the same outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you kind of answered one of my main questions here. You know, a lot of my listeners are moms and it is so toxic in mom culture. I don't know if you've had any glimpse of it, but it's always like, oh, I've had a day. My kids are driving me crazy, this and that. I'm stressed. I'm just going to have a glass of wine. And if you look on social media, there are TikToks and reels and posts all about like moms drinking wine and just coping with whatever's happening in their day because they're coping with drinking. And I'm not knocking anybody for like having fun with alcohol, but I feel like it's a very toxic space and it can make certain people feel like that that's okay. But then it can also make some people feel like maybe they shouldn't be using alcohol to cope because it's working for her. So do you have anything to add to that about the toxic drinking to cope social culture? Yeah. Mommy wine culture is the worst. (laughs) It is so gross. (laughs) Like leave moms alone. Don't they already have enough? Like marketers have picked such a vulnerable population and just been like, that's who we need to get. This is who we have to push alcohol on. And it's like, you know, they have enough, but Mm. the whole point of mommy wine culture is like, it helps you be a better mom. I have so many women reach out to me that are pregnant and they think like, yeah, I'm sober now, but I'm probably going to go back to drinking when I have my baby because I think it will help. And I'm over here like, no, please, (laughs) please don't do that. But we think that it makes us more calm, patient. I've heard moms say it makes them more willing to play with their kids and better able to like focus on that and have fun. And, and we get tricked into these beliefs that it 
helps us be a better mom than we would be normally. And the thing about like all of the gross reels and the stupid cups that say like, my kid whines, so I whine, like all of those little sayings and the memes, like it turns something that's really serious, humorous. Mm -hmm. And that the fact that we make it funny, it kind of helps moms in a way. And I think that's why they're so drawn to it. Like moms have so much pressure to be perfect and to do all the things and working moms, especially they have to work all day. And then they have all these responsibilities when they come home. And if you can make something humorous, it kind of gives you permission to do it. So that's Mm -hmm. why there are so many jokes about it because it's giving moms permission. Like you don't have to be perfect. You can have a whole bottle of wine when your kids go to bed and like, that's normal. All the moms do it. And Mm -hmm. I think overall, it just shows moms, like you don't have to be perfect. You can do this one thing that we all do. Like Mm -hmm. all of us moms, like drink a bunch of alcohol to deal with motherhood and like, it's Mm -hmm. okay. It's normal. And so many moms get just sucked into it. Yeah. I'm not one to really speak about this topic on my page because I I don't drink a lot. <laughs> like I truly only drink socially and wine gives me headaches. You're lucky. But, <laughs> but I feel like people are, I don't think they know where I stand. And I don't really, I, I mean, I'm not like against a mom having a glass of wine every night, but I also don't really know a lot about what that can lead to because I personally have never experienced it. I feel like there's a fine line between I'm having a glass of wine because it tastes good and I just want to wind down and relax and between I just want to relax because I've had a shitty day. Like, is there a fine line or am I just making that up? Because how do you decide? Is me having a glass of wine a couple of nights a week because I've had a week, is that bad? Am I an alcoholic? Or is that like, that's fine, whatever. Like, I like the taste. I, you know, it helps me feel mellow. Like, where's the line there? Yeah, that's a great question. So everybody's different. Some people will have a problem and they drink like once a week or once a month, but when they do drink, they just go completely nuts and have like no control and it makes them feel horrible. Other people, like I was a daily drinker, I drink every day. So it's not the amount or the frequency so much, it's how it makes you feel. How do you feel about yourself after the drinking is over? How's your mental health after the drinking is over? Like a social drinker or like a mom who just wants a glass of wine to wind down, she can have the wine, completely move on with her life. Like it's not a thing. If you have a problem after you have the wine, there's this whole ritual of beating yourself up for it or feeling shame or feeling extra anxiety. Like there's all this other stuff that comes afterwards that Mm -hmm. prevents us from moving on. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be the thing to look out for. Um, And just like your point, why are you drinking? Like what's happening right before you drink? Are you having an intense craving or an urge and like you can't even survive and then you just have alcohol to calm it down? Or are you just trying to chill? Like, are you just having dinner with your spouse and you're just, you're each having a glass of wine and you're cooking and whatever. So I think your purpose too Mm -hmm. um, and your intention behind the alcohol matters Mm -hmm. a lot. But I think people can drink a couple of times a week and 
it's fine, move on with their lives. Like it's not a thing. It's the inability to move on after Mm -hmm. the drinking. That's the problem. So what you're saying, it's not necessarily the amount of alcohol. It's everything else around it, how it makes you feel, how you cope, how do you feel afterwards? I actually recently had somebody poll my audience and people vote. So there was one question about, does your partner drink a lot? And actually a lot of people said yes, but what does that mean? So I had some people say, my husband has a beer every night with dinner. Does that make him an alcoholic? I asked my husband, I'm like, why do you have a beer with dinner sometimes? I don't know. I just like, I like the carbonation. I like the way it tastes. And one beer doesn't do, it doesn't do anything to me. I just like the way it tastes. Does that make it a problem that someone is having a beer every night with dinner? I don't think so. And I think that if your husband is doing it, that's within the guidelines. Like the guidelines are two drinks or less for men, no more than 14 a week. For women, it's one drink um, or less no more than seven a week. So you can have like one glass of wine a day and be within the guidelines or men can have two drinks a day. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was guidelines. Wait, so guidelines, they're so official. Okay. So there's like actual formal guidelines that say Mm -hmm. you, okay, well that, that kind of makes me feel better. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't want like, if I, sometimes I'm craving a beer with dinner, like I'll just like on a hot summer day, we'll go out to the lake and I just want like a cold summer shandy. And then if I have another one the next day, I'm like, wait, am I an alcohol? You know, I don't, you know, I just, I'm so paranoid about that stuff, but. Yeah. Cause it sneaks up on you. Yeah. Like you, you know, you're having your one drink or whatever, and then you, you know, justify, justify like I was. And then before you know it, it's like, wow, I'm having like a hundred drinks now okay. and I hate myself. And like, I don't know how to stop doing this. So mm-hmm. it just, so it's good that you ask yourself, like, is this okay? And that you always check in because mm-hmm. it really is so sneaky. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think that there's like a certain amount, but at the same time, there could be someone who has one drink a day or like half a drink a day and they have intense guilt that they did that. They have half a drink. I've heard people with this story, half a drink, and then they have intense guilt and shame mm-hmm. for the amount that they drink. And everybody looks at that and is like, that's really not that much you're within the guidelines, like you're fine here, but they're not choosing to feel like insanely guilty about that half a drink. So it it depends on that. It depends on the after. I would say that's the most important, not the quantity or the frequency. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously I was drinking like a lot every single day. Mm -hmm. So that frequency and quantity is not good. Mm -hmm. But if you're someone who's like not drinking very much, I would more look at your intention and what happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I work uh, as an ER nurse and I see a lot of alcoholism and detox patients. And I only ever see that that extreme, right? Like I see the extreme of the extreme. Like, But I feel like maybe you correct me if I'm wrong. Alcoholism is much more common in like a functioning person than it is what we believe it is like a drunk who's drinking all day, every day and can't get his life together. Right. That's what we assume. But would you say that like a lot of people might have a problem and not even know it? Absolutely. And I think that the people that you encounter are such a small percentage of the people that struggle because Mm -hmm. 
the people that will stay in it the longest are not those people. They're more like me who are successful and highly educated and have jobs and careers and no consequences. Mm -hmm. And there have been studies that have looked at this kind of situation. And they saw that the people that are the most successful and the most educated will stay in denial the longest Mm -hmm. and will have the most intense denial because they have so many reasons why they couldn't possibly have a problem. And we compare ourselves to the people that you see in the hospital. Like I'm not like them. I've never had Mm -hmm. alcohol poisoning. Like I don't have any problems from my drinking. Like no one's saying anything to me about it. Therefore Mm -hmm. I'm fine. I'm just having fun, you know, Mm -hmm. or I'm just like parenting is just hard. You know, we have all of these reasons, but most people exist kind of in the middle of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need like more examples of. And to see more is like a normal appearing person who goes to work, who has Mm -hmm. their responsibilities but secretly they have this like huge issue that's making them feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Is it possible, this might be kind of a dumb question, but someone like you who you've described yourself as this like very highly functional and successful person and you're sober now for two years, are you completely like completely cut away from alcohol? Is it possible to ever just like slow down or drink socially and not not be an alcoholic, quote unquote? That's an excellent question. And that's like what everybody wants to know and like wishes were true. And that's, that's the main reason that I stayed drinking for so long after I was miserable from it is because I kept convincing myself. I'm not like these other people, like I'm going to figure it out. I just need to cut back. I just need the right strategy, but it's not a choice to drink 10 drinks when you would prefer to drink two. Like that's that like lack of an off switch and the inability to stop once you start. That's not a choice. That's just like the way some people's brain works. And if your brain works that way, you can't like change it. You can't develop this off switch or like make the obsession go away. Like for me, if I drink, I'm going to think about alcohol 24 Mm seven. That's not a choice either. And I can't make that stop. And that was actually the experiment that I tried to do. I was sober for 90 days and the whole intention was to cure myself so that I could slow down and drink less and moderate. And I did in the beginning Mm -hmm. because I had so much space from alcohol, but then it came right back Mm -hmm. and I went right back to my normal drinking. So I think some people can, like some people will drink really heavily in college and they'll party a lot and then they kind of get older and grow out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But those people never really had a problem. They Mm -hmm. were just like partying and being young. Yeah. The way you describe it, it kind of makes me think of diet culture, right? Like diet, in my opinion, diets don't work, right? Like you you restrict yourself, you get, you set these goals and then once you meet them and then, then, then what? Like, you know, it kind of like goes backwards. So I feel like that way you described it is, yeah, diet culture. So it's really, it's really just toxic to get into that culture. You either cut it out or you don't kind of thing. Exactly. And those two things overlap a lot too, Mm -hmm. um, for women, especially, but women that struggle with food will often go on to struggle with alcohol later in life. There's a big connection. There's a lot of study. That's how I started. Actually, I started with food and then alcohol just did everything better for me. So Mm -hmm. I moved on to alcohol, but yeah, it's, that's really common to have both kind of show up in your life. Wow. Yeah. So 
how do you deal with social pressure on drinking? What what are your tips on that? Because as a mom, the pressure's there. As a 30-some with young kids and fun neighbors, the pressure's there. You know, like how do you deal with it? Non-alcoholic drinks are super helpful if they're not like triggering or upsetting. There are so many options now. And Heineken Zero is like making everything really cool. So now like drinking an alcohol-free beer is not like, oh, that's that person's an alcoholic. Now it's just like normal. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to drink today, but I still want the party vibe. So I think alcohol-free drinks make everything so much easier if that works for you. Mm-hmm. And also just having proof that you can socialize and not drink. Part mm-hmm. of the whole process is exposing yourself to sober socializing and seeing that nothing bad happens. Like you didn't die. You didn't have the worst time ever. And then you go back and you feel a little bit better. So getting Mm -hmm. more comfortable and also making alcohol a non-negotiable. Don't go into it thinking like, I hope I don't drink tonight, or I hope I don't drink on this vacation because you're probably going to drink. If you go into it and you say, I am not drinking today, I will not drink. Here's my plan. I'm going to drink a soda water with a lime. It looks like a drink. No one's going to ask me and I will not drink. Then you're more likely to succeed. So kind of the way that you talk about your goals too and leaving early, it's okay to leave early because partying is just standing around in a room with other people Mm -hmm. that are standing around in the same room. And it gets really boring if you're not drinking and that's okay. And it's okay to leave early. It's okay to not go to everything. Um, So I think it's just a learning process. And I think Mm. just being open to having a new experience without alcohol is a big part of the challenge. And overall, no one cares as much as we think they do. Mm -hmm. I find that people when I'm not drinking and others around me are, I find them so annoying. (laughs) I don't want to be around. Like, am I that annoying when I'm drinking too? I mean, so (laughs) it would be really hard for me to socialize with some of these people sober, you know? Yeah. And I um, tell people often, like, pretend that you're a sociologist and you're like studying this group of people and watch them in their natural habitat, like the bar or like the neighborhood cookout or whatever. And just, you know, make it kind of fun Yeah, and leave and then leave when you're done, leave when you're sick of it and they're starting to be annoying. Yeah. Love that. Definitely need to use that advice. (laughs) So what are your top tips on becoming sober and staying sober? I think the best thing that someone can do is expose themselves to sober content. Mm -hmm. So that would be like listening to this episode Mm -hmm. or reading a book or following people on Instagram that are sober or listening to podcasts that are just about sobriety. Just being open to it. You can join a Facebook group for people that are sober curious and just kind of hanging out and looking at it Mm -hmm. and just having an open mind. Short challenges are amazing. I started with a seven day challenge and that felt overwhelming. So you could do seven days or you could do 30 days and just see, and you have like a start date and an end date and just experiment. Um, And also therapy. I always Mm -hmm. recommend therapy to everybody because if you're struggling with alcohol, There's like, you have some kind of goal, something you're trying to do with your drinking, Mm -hmm. like cope with something usually. And Mm -hmm. therapy will help you understand your triggers Mm -hmm. and like how to manage your emotions in healthier ways than shutting them off. Yeah. I love that. I'm a huge fan of therapy. (laughs) So I love that. (laughs) 
Oh, thank you so much. And uh, staying sober. How do you stay sober? What about relapse? How often do relapses happen? And yeah. Yeah. Relapse is really common, Mm -hmm. especially in the beginning for reasons that are obvious because it's really hard. We live in a world that has alcohol everywhere, but in longer term sobriety, I think people just don't think that this is something they have to work on forever. And they might get tricked into believing like, oh, maybe it's been long enough and I can moderate now, or it's going to be different this time, or I'm, I'm sick of thinking about sobriety all the time. I want more balance in my life. And then they'll drink to kind of test it out. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they'll just blow up their lives again and mm-hmm. see like, no, it's actually, it's never different. I think what a lot of people don't understand who are starting out is this is like permanent work. Like you have to maintain your sobriety. You don't just get sober and then move on. Mm -hmm. Some people don't drink because they don't like alcohol or, you know, they don't care about it or it doesn't really do anything for you. Or like you said earlier, it gives you a headache. Mm -hmm. That's different. You don't have to like think about it or, or crave it or romanticize it. But someone with a problem does like I'm leaving to go on my first sober cruise this weekend. Mm-hmm. And there's more bars and restaurants on cruise ships. Like mm-hmm. I need to be mentally prepared to be around alcohol all the time. And it is something that I care about. So it takes, it takes a lot of work. You don't have to like obsess over it all the time, but it is something that you have to work on permanently, mm-hmm. whether that's with a therapist or, you know, making content or looking at sober content or going to meetings. But yeah, the work starts when you stop drinking. Yeah, that's very important to know that it's it's never it never stops, right? Important work never stops. Yep. Jill, thank you so much for talking about alcohol and sober sober life with us. I think that's such an important but also taboo topic especially in young women. So, I appreciate your time here and I want uh, you to share with my listeners where they can find you on social and if you have a website. Yeah, so if you search sober powered Uh, You'll find me. I'm most places. That's my podcast, my Instagram, uh, my Facebook group. If you want a safe space to kind of hang out with other sober or sober curious people. So just search sober powered. Perfect. I will also link all that below. And again, thank you, Jill. This is such a powerful topic. It's so important for me to put it out there because it is taboo. We don't talk about it often. And there might be a mom out there struggling and wondering, like, is this okay? Do I have a problem? And I hope you know that you're not alone. There's this community. We support you. We love you. And I hope that you resonated with something in this episode. And for sure, check out Jill's podcast and her Instagram page. They're full of great information. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave me a review, follow me on socials, and let's chat soon.